to turn my mic on there. Try that again. Good morning. It is. Uh, thank you. That was great. I wasn't expecting that. Um, it is great to be here this morning. Uh, it is such an honor and pleasure to be uh, worshiping with you here this morning. And it's a, a great honor to be filling in for Tim as he's away on his sabbatical for um, the next 10 weeks. We're going to be starting a new series this morning, walking through the book of Colossians. Uh, the series is called All In, Pursuing Christ Above All. Uh, this morning is just an intro, so don't panic if that's what it feels like. Um, we are just going to be taking the 30,000-foot view uh, of the, the text and trying to get oriented to this ancient letter. Um, but before we do that, I want to share a little bit about how my relationship started with my wife, Catherine. We were both working at a summer camp. Uh, she was on leadership. I was a lowly camp counselor. And um, I had just ended a two-year-long relationship uh, with a girl that I had known in college. For me, I was not at the point where I was looking to jump into another relationship. But just at the moment when I had kissed dating goodbye, I met Catherine. I still remember it. I was sitting at a new counselor orientation, and I looked up, and there she was, she was presenting, giving us some information. I cannot remember a single thing that she said. I just remember thinking to myself, wow, I've got to figure out who this girl is. I've got to get to know her. Um, she is going to be someone special in my life. I know it. Um, and from that point on, uh, she became a focus for me. Um, from that point on, uh, I began to organize my entire life around her. But here's what happened. Um, I had to be a little bit brave. I had to be a little bit bold because I wasn't just going to find out who she was by sitting back and continuing to just be a passive observer. I had to pick up the phone and I had to call her because I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to spend time with her. So I picked up the phone and I called her. Here's the problem. Uh, I woke her up from a nap. Strike one. Next thing, she already had dinner plans. Strike two. I'm, I'm starting to lose confidence at this point. And thirdly, my schedule was really, really uh, tight from being at summer camp. I, couldn't, I didn't have a lot of flexibility to work with. This was the one evening that I, could, that I had to work with, and she was saying, no, I'm busy, I've got plans. Strike three. I'm done. But wait, right at the last second, she offers up another suggestion. What if we go out for ice cream afterwards? Yes, I'm in. The door is open. Here we go. The pursuit is on. Okay, um, I am able to, uh, we're able to talk and get to know each other. And from that point on, I start organizing my schedule around her. I start planning my trips through the office because I know exactly when her staff meetings are ending. I plan my trip to the cafeteria and come up with some random questions to ask her um, and time, that, time those interactions so I can just even have a little five-minute walk with her. Everything starts to focus around her. And here's the thing we know. Um, we need to have a focus in our lives if we're going to grow. If we're going to live brave, if we're going to take that step, pick up the phone, and do something 
extraordinary. Without a focused pursuit, we won't live brave and we won't grow. And so uh, I, tell you, I tell you that story not just, because, not just because it's a nice, sweet story and people like that, but because I think it gives us a great picture of the captivating nature of Jesus Christ and how when we are captiv- captivated by Him, our life starts to change and we can start to order it around Him. We can start making decisions that um, are based on what we know of Him. And it's, it's my hope that as we go through this series over the next 10 weeks, that we'll be captivated by Jesus again. Maybe for the first time, maybe it, maybe it involves you maybe picking up the phone. Uh, it's similar to you picking up the phone and calling, calling that uh, destiny woman <laughs> for the first time like it was for me. Or maybe it's just you need to be reignited. That passion needs to come back up, uh, and be reignited again in your life for him. But as we, as we go into this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And you can turn there um, if you want right now um, and just keep your finger in there um, on that spot. What I want for you this morning, what I want for you in this series is to live brave. I want you to step into your fears a lot like picking up the phone for me was when I first wanted to contact Catherine. I want our hearts to be stirred, stirred so we live without having any regrets, so that we can look back on our life and say, wow, that was significant. That was meaningful. I want us to, there to be a growth and a movement um, toward what's real, that we would realize what our true identity is. And I hope that collectively our hearts would be united in that passionate pursuit of Christ, in that focused pursuit, that we would be captivated, and that through the process we would learn to love better and be more united as a church and a people. So that's where we're going to go. That's where we're going to go this, uh, these next uh, number of weeks. I hope that sounds appealing to you. I hope that you've sensed that there might be some room to grow for you in that and for all of us together. So let's look at the, look at the book of uh, Colossians here. Um, before we get into the text, we've got to get oriented to what's going on. Um, we've got to get our bearings a little bit. So Colossae is located in the Lycus Valley. And we have uh, Heropolis and Laodicea um, as neighboring cities. Now, Lycus Valley is um, known for its natural resources, uh, and it's probably the reason why those cities have built up around the, um, uh, the Lycus River and in that valley. But at this point, things are confusing and chaotic in Colossae because this place was once a prominent city, but because of a recent uh, route change, a trade route was adjusted and moved by the Roman Empire. Now they're kind of off the beaten path. They're being forgotten a little bit, and they're not in that location that they used to be. I don't know if you've 
ever seen the movie Cars? It came out in 2006, Pixar movie. Um, here's immediately what I think of. I think of, um, uh, I think of the little town of Radiator Springs, right? It's on Route 66. It winds through the desert. And um, Route 66 brings the traffic from a, point A to point B. Uh, and the town is thriving, their businesses are good, the people are happy, and the town is a great place to be, and people make that town a destination on their way uh, through the desert. But then the interstate comes, and it cuts a straight line through the desert, no longer winding Route 66, but the straight line interstate that takes traffic from point A to point B, and it's quicker. It's more efficient. And suddenly, the little town of Radiator Springs is forgotten. And they go on the decline, and they start asking questions like, hey, what, what's my purpose here? What's my place in this world? It's a similar, uh, similar situation in Colossae. They're starting to wonder, hey, what, what is our significance? What, what's our reason for being here? And because of the Roman Empire, because the Roman Empire has uh, its dominion over a huge, huge area, pretty much the entire known world, um, there's a couple things that are, that are at play as the Colossians are asking this question. So the Roman roads have started connecting people like never before. So we're having ideas coming from all over the place, philosophies, religions, uh, new ways of doing things different ways of doing things. And for the Colossians who've accepted Christ, they're looking around and saying, well, maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something a little bit more true. And then you have, uh, you have something called the Roman peace. The Roman Empire, through their military might, pretty much has established peace across the whole empire. What this does is it allows for religious freedom. People can practice their religion. As long as it doesn't disrupt the Roman peace, everything's good. So you have all these different ideas. You have all these different religions coming, uh, kind of c- coming around. And it basically, for the Colossians who are asking, hey, what's our place in the world? They, they're given this smorgasbord of options to choose from. And in the midst of this, there's some confusion over what's true. Well, is it Rome? You can easily see the Colossians being sucked into the culture of Rome, the patterns of the culture that surround them. Or maybe it's the blended teaching and religion, all this mix of religion and philosophy and teachings coming together. Maybe it's just a picking and choosing of what's best, of what looks the most appealing. Maybe that's what's true. And you can see the Colossians getting drawn into something like that. Or maybe it's the old Jewish way of doing things. Maybe, maybe we have to become Jews before we can become Christians. Maybe there's certain, uh, there's certain initiation steps that we have to go through before we can truly follow Christ and become Christians. And you can see the Colossians being lured into 
that way of thinking of just, well, maybe we'll just do it the way we've always done it. And that's the way we'll, and that's what's true. And it's into this situation that Paul writes his letter. Why? You've got to think about the time period that we're in. A letter's costly. Uh, it, it, it's dangerous to even send a letter. So there has to be a really good reason for, for Paul to want to send this letter and to write. And here's, here's what we see as we look through the book of, of Colossians. Paul has recognized that there is a danger. That the Colossians are in danger of pursuing something that's empty and something that's not going to um, uh, eventually pay out what it promises. And Paul also has a heart for the gospel. He wants to maintain its, its purity. He doesn't want anything to be added to it. And the beauty is this letter still applies to us today. Um, we're going uh, to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And as we go through, um, as we go through this series, my hope is that our resolve would be strengthened to live the bravest life possible by pursuing Jesus above all. And here's the, here's the central point of the whole letter. For in, look, at, uh, look up at the screen, chapter 2, verses 9 through 10a. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So you can't religion your way to God. We won't find anything more complete. That's what Paul is saying in this verse, in these verses. Paul's desire is for believers to know what they believe and for that wisdom to impact their lives that it would turn into action. An action that looks like living the all-in life. For us, that means we're going to be looking at all kinds of facets of the all-in life, uh, discovering and living our true identity, thriving in daily relationships at home, at work, and at school, and developing habits that are sustainable and lead to growth. But why trust Paul for this? All right, let's open, let's open our text, Colossians 1, chap, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. I think we can, we can trust Paul because he's driven, he's backed by God, and he's all in. He's living that life. Let's read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We see Paul's driven. He's driven by the fact that these are brothers. These are his brothers. Uh, imagine if, you're, if you knew that uh, someone from your family was in danger. I think of uh, my son Lincoln. He's, he's one. When sometimes we go on walks, he does not recognize where 
uh, a busy road starts and ends. And he is prone to walking right out there, right out into traffic. When I see that danger coming, I don't wait for him to walk out in that traffic and something bad to happen. I act right away. I see a danger and I do something about it. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, hey, these are my brothers. I'm not just going to stand by and watch them get sucked into these things that um, are leading them away from their highest aim. And he, he refers to them as the faithful brothers because he believes that once they're warned, once they're warned of the danger, they're going to remain faithful. They're not going to be, they're not going to be um, lured in or drawn into something that's incomplete. And we also see that in these opening verses that Paul is backed by God. He's not on some personal vendetta. He's not on some, some individual mission. The word apostle is being used here by Paul in the highest sense, saying this is significant and unique, this office, this role that he has. We're, we're thinking back to his commissioning on the road to Damascus, where Paul sees the light. He's, he's thrown down to the ground, and then he hears a voice. He hears Jesus speaking directly to him, saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? See, he's on the way to persecute Christians. And he hears a voice that says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, taking it personally. And now Paul, taking it personally upon himself. To take on that mission of spreading the gospel, planning churches, and making God known. We also see in this word apostle that Paul understands him as an overseer of the mission given to him by God. And then lastly, we see that he's all in. He's living this life. He's living the all in life. He's in prison. He's not afraid to go through trials and hardships. We know, that, we know what Paul's been through, what he suffered through for the sake of the gospel. And he's ended up in prison and it's ultimately going to cost him his life, but he's not afraid. He's not afraid to die pursuing Christ. And then look at this. Last part of verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is incredible. This is not just a stamped on formulaic greeting. This isn't just, hey, how you doing? Uh, good to see you. Um, this isn't some kind of formula. Uh, my grandpa, whenever I see him, he comes to the door and he says, greetings! And he holds out his hand in the same way every single time. I know it's coming. This is more than just that formulaic greeting. This is more than just that that standard default go-to, hey, how you doing? This is Paul's heart. This is his heart. He wants his readers to know the grace of God. He wants, to, he wants his readers to understand God's unconditional favor for them. 
grace. He's asking that for them. He's asking them to remember that. And peace. He wants his readers to understand God's peace and to live in that peace in harmony with him and with each other. Much more than just a standard greeting. And this is a message for us, and we can take it or leave it. I think that if we don't get the message of Colossians, if we don't hear what Paul's saying, if we don't get his warning, we run the risk of pursuing something that's empty. We run the risk of struggling towards something, striving towards an end that results in nothing. I think of the prodigal son. He leaves his father, takes his inheritance, and goes out searching for what life is all about. He goes out searching for what is going to give him a great time, the most fun, the most exciting. And where does he end up? He ends up with the pigs. I think of the author of Ecclesiastes who ends up searching high and low, far and wide for the meaning of life, for what's going to bring him significance, what's going to bring him wholeness, what's going to bring him completeness. And he ends up writing, vanity, vanity. Everything is meaningless, 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 meaningless. I think if we don't get Paul's message, I think if we don't hear that Jesus is the pursuit, that Jesus is the central focus, then we run, run the risk of ending up um, at the end of our lives looking back and saying, man, there's something missing. Now for me, <laughs> the other night I'm, uh, I'm reading a story to my kids. I, I love to do that. That's one of my favorite things to do. And I, we're reading and reading, and I'm starting to kind of zone out a little bit. I'm not quite there. I'm, I'm reading the words, but I'm not really paying attention to the story. And I turn the page, and all of a sudden, my kids just start losing it. They're like, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. Go back, go back. You missed a page. I said, okay, okay, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Two pages had gotten stuck together. I took them apart, and then I finished the story, and it was and it was complete. But here's the thing that struck me by that. My kids recognized immediately when there was something incomplete in that story. And we laughed about it. I took the pages apart and then we kept on going. And it was funny. But think about, think about that if, um, if, if we translate that to our lives. Incomplete is funny when we miss a page in a story but it's not funny when we're talking about our lives. So think about this. If we, if we do get this, if we do get this message, let's, uh, let's go to uh, a family vacation. We're in the summertime. We're looking forward to family vacations. Imagine if your focus in a family vacation was to not think so much about your own personal happiness and your own leisure, but it was organized around pursuing Christ and pursuing the best interests of all those 
uh, members of your family around you? What if, what if your family vacation was defined by the fruits of the Spirit? What if that was the thing that ended up being what defined your family vacations for future generations? What if that became the norm? Rather than looking out for what was best for you, looking out for what was best for others in your family. If we want to live the all-in life, if we want to be pursuing Christ above all, it's going to mean looking to Christ. It's going to mean taking our cues from Him. We think about it, Jesus was not walking around on this earth tallying up how much His disciples were praying or how many Old Testament passages they had memorized. He was walking with them and doing life with them. He was more concerned about a relationship with them than what they were doing. We think about Jesus. He was willing to eat with sinners and tax collectors. He wasn't avoiding those people. He was looking for ways to spend time and get get into their lives. Jesus was about going up to the evilest of evil tax collectors and saying, hey, you there, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house today. Now look, if you haven't heard that story, if you're, if you're just reading that for the first time, that sounds like it could be a threat. Jesus' words sound like a threat. He's, wow, Zacchaeus has been collecting taxes, propping up an, uh, an occupying empire, and making himself wealthy while others are suffering, while others are being made to be poor. Jesus walks up to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from here. I'm coming to your house today. But he's not threatening Zacchaeus. This is an invitation. He's inviting Zacchaeus to get face to face with him, to encounter him. And so Zacchaeus and Jesus um, are standing in his house together, and something happens. Zacchaeus experiences the mercy of Jesus Christ before he's done anything to deserve it, before he's changed his behavior. And something happens in his heart. And he decides, I'm going to pay all that I've stolen back and then some. Zacchaeus, because of that encounter with Christ, begins a new life, begins a life that's all in, begins a life pursuing Jesus above all. As we go through this series, I hope that our resolve would be strengthened to pursue Jesus above all, that we would live a brave life, that we would live a full life, that we would live a life that's complete, Because we're not only pursuing Jesus, we're hanging on to Jesus, we're holding on to Him and counting on Him to take us.
to God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your life. Thank You for Your Gospel that we can read about the way that You live, that we could read about what's on Your heart, what's in Your mind. Lord, I thank You for the work that You are doing in our hearts. Lord, I pray that You would ignite that passion in our hearts, captivate our hearts and minds, that we would begin to organize our lives around You, that we would continue to grow in that, that we wouldn't be distracted by alternatives, that we wouldn't be distracted by things that sound good or look appealing, alternate ways to live that You haven't called us to. Lord, I pray that in the process you would bring people around us that would help us on that journey, that would um, walk with us, that we wouldn't feel like we're standing alone, but that we, would, um, that we would be moved and inspired and encouraged and that we would live brave, and that we would live in you, pursuing you all in, and we would know the abundant life and that our hope of an eternal future with you would inspire and motivate and compel every action of our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.